Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour on Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. The Taliban, you know, they, they are they're the enemy of the people of Afghanistan in, in, in their views of women and, um, and, and in their, the way they govern and um, that they don't represent Muslims or Islam. Uh, and uh, I, I think we, we don't want that to be lost in this conversation. Um, and, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot of conversation uh, whether the U.S. ends up recognizing the Taliban in some level because they are the ones now ruling there. But um, that making sure that human rights, which are squarely rooted in Islam, are, are upheld in, in that country. And then there's true justice um, and, and understanding that uh, th there are differences. And I, I think that's one of the mistakes the US made going into Afghanistan. They didn't understand the culture, they didn't understand the people, they didn't understand the politics. Um, but going forward, understanding that will be important. I, I mean, I want to see an Afghanistan that is, um, secure peace i mean you know you're 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 talking about what uh for over 40 years of war they they deserve some peace <laughs> that was sabina mohideen friend of the show and executive director of the american muslim advisory council she is our special guest on today's show but first my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This show is on stations across the country, thanks to Pacifica Radio Network. We are also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcast, Spotify, and on your phones. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. Today, Harvey and I talked to Sabina Moyedin about Afghan refugees, their challenges, and how we can help. Here's Sabina. So my name is Sabina Mohideen. I am the executive director of the American Muslim Advisory Council. It is a statewide organization here in Tennessee that works to empower uh, the Muslim, Tennessee Muslim community and um, uh, foster relationships and uh, through civic engagement, community building, and media relations. Uh, so uh, a lot of our works uh, centers around um, fighting Islamophobia in different ways and obviously uh, building a more empowered community. So the best way to fight Islamophobia is being actively involved uh, in, in, uh, in whether it's voting, it's issue advocacy, and, and, but also building a stronger community that um, Ha, has the resources it needs to succeed, uh, and also, uh, you know, teaching people uh, cultural competency, understanding the Muslim community, and understanding Islamophobia and how it works. And and you can't do that without working and reaching out to the media, right? Uh, 
to uh, make sure they're telling our stories, they're telling our stories accurately um, and, and centering our voices. So that's kind of the work that I do. So we're, we are busy all the time. Let's just say, say you don't need a refugee influx to stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's extra work. <laughs> yes. We want to talk about the refugee uh, situation here in Tennessee and what all, mm -hmm. all the stuff you're doing. But, but first I wanted to just start, get your perspective on how your perspective on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah, and and your and the Muslim community in Nashville. How how you know how were they processing all that while it was going on? Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, this war in Afghanistan has lasted twenty years, and and when it's it's mind boggling. 20 years and what do we have to show for it? Mm -hmm. Brown, Brown University, they had a cost of war uh, report and they said $2.3 trillion was spent on the war in Afghanistan. And you just keep, it's mind boggling because you keep asking yourself, what do we have to show for it? That the moment U.S. withdraws from there, the Taliban takes over. How could, after 20 years, we're still not prepared to even leave? And, and who benefited from that $2.3 uh, million? And why wasn't um, trillion, right? <laughs> 2.3 trillion. You know, you're not used to saying trillion every day, right? Um, and uh, and, and uh, it, we know that uh, President Trump had negotiated some kind of deal with the Taliban before he left office about U.S. withdrawal. And so, uh, and President Biden went through with it, albeit, you know, a few months after um, uh, Trump's proposed date of May 1st, but still they weren't prepared in any shape, way, form, right? Uh, we, we saw images of people literally hanging off um, the airplane. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's how desperate people were to get out because they had lived under Taliban rule before the U.S. invasion. Nobody, especially those in the city in Kabul, where any level of progress that was made was mostly made just within the city, which it, only, it doesn't, that's not even half the population uh, in Afghanistan where, where people live. And um, so, you know, rule, rule Afghanistan didn't see the gains through uh, the U.S. invasion. So again, where did that $2.3 trillion go and who benefited from it? And um, I, I, don't, I don't support that the U.S. should have stayed longer because they really weren't doing anything, but they needed to be more prepared with leaving. And you were saying that rural Afghans did not get those kinds of gains that uh, the professional class in Kabul and others did experience, especially the women. But mm -hmm. the rural Afghans certainly did experience the war. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's where U.S. really like started using drone as, as a uh, form uh, of, um, you know, a strategy of war. And, and, you know, you would hear in the news here in bits and pieces, oh, this so-called terrorist died. Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't talk about 
the families, the children, the in, innocent civilians caught in the middle and what happened to them and how, how they saw, you know, U.S. forces and how, you know, oftentimes they were just caught in the middle and what mm. anyone wants, wherever you are in the world, it doesn't matter what country you're from, you want a peaceful existence where, where you can live your life, earn a decent living, um, raise your children. Everyone wants the same thing. And the family, you know, the rural Afghan, Afghans wanted the same thing, but they did not have it over these 20 years. The U.S. media has been very hyper-focused on Kabul and, and uh, mm -hmm. the Afghans there who who did have some benefits uh, related to U.S. presence in the absence of the Taliban, but they they rarely mention uh, that the people in rural Afghanistan, you know, maybe things are improved for them if they're not getting bombed anymore or drone attacks. Of course, that could always come back on them too. But yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Like, um, and 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 if you read reports, people. People just wanted safety. It was right. regardless whether right. um, mm -hmm. whether it was U.S. forces doing it, it providing them that safety, or it was Taliban providing yes. that safety. Yeah. They just at the end of the day, they they want safety. Yeah, yeah, and like, they don't care who, where it comes from. Right, right. Like anybody would want. Yeah, just yeah. seriously, just leave us alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, um, we wanted to talk about the refugee situation and you've been very busy tell us what you've been doing with regard to refugees then we'll talk about the refugees themselves okay well um so because of the crisis situation in afghanistan and and us being there for 20 years um at least they saw they had a responsibility um especially with uh Afghans who worked with the U.S. Uh, and then their families, and then those who like were really at risk of, um, you know, their safety was at risk with the Taliban takeover. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there were there are already people who are working with uh, U.S. government. They, sometimes they were dual citizens, and so they already had citizenship, and they, you know, they were scrambling to leave Afghanistan. Um, and then, but then there are people who were getting special immigrant visas, people who worked with US forces in one capacity or another, or with um, uh, NGOs uh, working over there. And so, um, you know, there was a process to get that SIV visa. They applied for it, not getting it on time, but, but then that's one group. And, and if when they come here, they're, they're immigrants, they got the work per permit, um, whatever, uh, benefits they, they they can get the public benefits whatnot it's just a regular immigrant coming in but then there are people who are not qualified to get the special immigrant visa who needed to leave for safety reasons or they had some connection or some reason to say uh, fear for their lives or some connection with um family maybe their family with um the, you know u.s forces or endeavors but um but they weren't, they're not qualified to get the special immigrant visa. So they're coming in as humanitarian parole, parolee. So, um, so that, that means that their kind of paperwork is being expedited. And that's how they were able to leave on such short notice. 
Um, and so, uh, it, you know, I think initially they said like 36,000 humanitarian parolees were allowed in, but I, I think the number that the U.S. has been talking about is about 50,000 Afghans coming into the U.S. And the majority of that 50,000 will be humanitarian parolee. And so, um, so with the humanitarian parolee, that designation meant that um, they, when they come to the U.S., they get um, a certain stipend, about $1,225, but that was it. Um, there was no public benefits to help them establish themselves. And um, so just last Thursday, Congress passed um, a spending bill, and in that spend, to keep government open through December, December 3rd, but in that spending bill, there was a provision that uh, gave uh, Afghans who were coming in as humanitarian parole uh, the same benefits that uh, refugees get. And so, so now, I mean, that was great news because that was kind of the work we've been doing um, in, in Tennessee, what, especially in Nashville, what we're really worried about. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, the Tennessee Office of Refugees announced like there'd be over 400 Afghan uh, refugees coming in to Tennessee. Uh, and in Nashville, it was almost 300. Uh, mm. But uh, without the public benefits, it made finding housing very difficult because um, landlords were reluctant to rent out to someone they didn't know they didn't have a job and didn't know whether they would have any support system to pay future rent. Um, and, and then just realizing that they would need greater support um, than normal refugees from any other country would uh, need. So I think like in Nashville, the two resettlement agencies are Nashville International Center for Empowerment or NICE and Catholic Charities of Tennessee. Um, and, you know, they were roughly getting half and half of the amount of refugees, but um, they were really worried about how were they going to support. But with the spending bill, it means they will get that basic um, public benefits to help them for the first six months um, mm. to help get them established. They get a job as soon as possible and, and um, uh, be on their way uh, to self-sufficiency, although it's not an easy process <laughs> uh, by any means. Um, but how many but of that, these are children? Kind of... How many of these are children? So, um, you know, when the resettlement agencies actually, they don't know exactly what who's coming in terms of what is the family, what is the family makeup. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some will be coming as individuals, but others will be coming as families. Um, you know, one estimate I heard, and maybe 60% of those coming would end up being um, children, school-aged children. Um, but, but they don't know. They, they just kind of get from, um, get notifications, say like a week before somebody actually comes to Nashville. Um, that's that this person, this individual or this family is coming. Um, and so then they know exactly who the gender, the age and, and the family setups. Now, some people will be coming to Nashville who already have family here. And that, that helps 
tremendously in, uh, as far as the support system goes. Um, and, and we hope as many people have family, but then we know a lot of people will be coming who don't have family. But you know, there's financial support that need, they need. There's navigating things in Nashville, right? Public transportation, where the shops are. Um, but there's kind of that, um, you know, uh, being culture, culturally kind of aware of your surroundings, how things work. Uh, and there is a um, Afghan community here and they too are kind of stepping up to help. Sure. Uh, real, yeah, realizing that it's their fellow countrymen who are in this crisis situation, they're coming. So they're trying to see um, what best ways they can kind of teach them the ropes, how things work here and get them connected. Good refugees, like what I hear, I, you know, I'm privileged, my, you know, uh, my parents, uh, came here from Bangladesh back in the 60s. I was born and raised here. So very privileged in the, in the, in, in my roots here. Uh, refugees, they come a lot of times, there's no family. It's a new, new country, new culture. Um, they left Afghanistan in very traumatic, uh, under very traumatic circumstances. I would assume that many would be experiencing some form of trauma that needs to be dealt with. And mm -hmm. so it'll take a lot of patience and guidance and friendship and support um, to really help them uh, with their new life here. How big is the existing Afghan community in and around Nashville or Tennessee? Um, I wish I had numbers to it. Uh, I don't. I, I've heard maybe 500 families, but I, I, I'm not sure. Um, so in the Afghan community, I mean, there, there have been, I think, steady numbers coming in, especially after 2000. Mm -hmm. So um, after 2001. So um, there are more recent arrivals, and then there are people who are established. Uh, there were you know, people I know who were born and raised here. So it, it's a diverse community within within them. Sure, and you said, I wanted to get this right because I'm thinking, holy cow. You said that maybe upwards of 60% might be school-aged children? Maybe, you know, that's that's like, that's just something they don't know for sure. Yeah, and, but they um, wouldn't be, the they wouldn't be coming without mom and dad, or at least. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, no. They would yeah, be families. coming as families. families. Yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, I don't think anyone's thinking in terms of anyone would be coming okay. unaccompanied. Right. No. So um, it would be as families. Do you know if anybody, anybody coming is leaving somebody at home, leaving somebody in Afghanistan that might be wanting to try now to come out also. I, I am positive that's probably happening. I, and I also know of existing families here who are trying to get more family members from back home yeah. uh, here. And, and so, you know, trying to fill out that paperwork to uh, get them here because everyone is scared what's going to happen. And, and there was a report, um, I think the last few days from the EU saying there's a humanitarian crisis um, about to happen in Afghanistan, especially with winter coming and how do you get humanitarian, 
humanitarian aid mm -hmm. to Afghanistan. Uh, I mean, you know, around the world, most countries aren't recognizing the Taliban as a legitimate government, or they're at least saying that they have to um, meet certain humanitarian um, benchmarks um, before they get any type of recognition. And that hasn't happened. And so how, how is aid gonna come to those who are living there? So definitely people that, who are already here, settled abroad, whether in the US or anywhere else, would, uh, until, you know, would be worried about their family members and trying to get them to safety. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about the issue of the Taliban in terms of sanctions and how these sanctions like, we, you know, we will impose sanctions on any country at the drop of a hat. And it's the people that suffer. Right, right. I, and, and it's interesting, you talk to the Afghan community, like, I mean, they don't want any recognition of the Taliban. And I understand that 100% right. uh, what they've done, how they've had a track record of how they ruled, uh, I think from what, 1996 to 2001. Um, so nobody wants to go back to that. And, uh, but at the same time, you, you, you know, the humanitarian crisis that's looming mm -hmm. um, and how do you avert that without work? You have to, you're gonna have to work with the Taliban on some level, right? Um, and so what does that look like and will it, move move the country in a better direction yeah. like freezing yeah. their assets and yeah not i don't gonna help the people of afghanistan yeah i don't i you know those are hard questions i have no yeah. idea no yeah. you know the taliban you know they they are they're the enemy of the people of afghanistan in in, in their views of women and um and in the, the way they govern, um, but they don't represent Muslims or Islam. Uh, and uh, I, I think we, we don't want that to be lost in this conversation. Um, and, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot of conversation, uh, whether the U.S. ends up recognizing the Taliban in some level, because they are the ones now ruling there. But... Um, that making sure that human rights, which are squarely rooted in Islam, are, are upheld in, in that country. And then there's true justice um, and, and understanding that you know, th there are differences. And I, I think that's one of the mistakes the U.S. made going into Afghanistan. They didn't understand the culture. They didn't understand the people. They didn't understand the politics. Um, but going forward, understanding that will be important. I, I mean, yeah. I want to see an Afghanistan that is um, secure, peace. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about what, uh, for over 40 years of war, you know, like um, they, they deserve some peace. <laughs> exactly. You know, and Harvey and I, of course, are old enough to know and be able to share that we didn't get it with regard to the culture in Vietnam either. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's Pete and repeat. Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask you this again later. Okay. I, I wanted to mm -hmm. do, I wanted to get this done twice. How mm -hmm. can people in the community and, and, and since this radio show goes across the country, 
how could people in their local communities help? Obviously, there's several ways to help. And, and most of the time, people will be coming through refugee resettlement agencies, reaching out to those agencies and asking what kind of help they need and, you know, talking with NICE and uh, Catholic charities. It's, you know, having people who are willing to take uh, provide transportation, willing to take, uh, you know, they have doctor's appointment or interviews, uh, take people. Obviously, they don't have transportation. Then you, if you're dropped in Nashville, Nashville doesn't have the best um, <laughs> transit system. So um, so those challenges with transportation are there. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, interpretation, <laughs> uh, of course, will, will, will be an issue. Um, and then... Um, with the, so many children coming in, you know, uh, being the support they need in um, the schools and for parents learning how to navigate the school system and how to advocate for your school to make sure there's the best kind of smoothest transition for those students. Um, you know, uh, for I, I know um, a lot of people have reached out wanting to donate and I, I think that's where um, Catholic charities and nice they or your local resettlement agency will know like okay this is what we need um, this is where uh, usually they have some kind of uh, warehouse where they can collect donations so finding out what are they collecting and how are they able to do it um, and then you know um, being there as a friend um, I, I think for I think that's sometimes uh, one of the most important things, being there to listen um, uh, as a friend without any, uh, without any pressure, understanding people are coming with trauma. I think there's services that they may need. Um, so they're coming in as humanitarian parole. Within two years, uh, they need to change that status. So they'll need legal help to help change that immigration status. Um, if they're coming in with trauma, they'll need uh, mental health um, uh, services. Um, so being able to know, having cultural, especially cultural competent mental health services, I, I know that's, that's sometimes really hard to find. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, and then jobs, I, I'd say like, <sighs> the faster they can get a job and get, you know, have, tried to get something normalized um, in terms of the financial security um, that, that, that helps also. So uh, there, there are many different ways to help. I know with AMAC, um, you know, most of my work is organizing with the Muslim community, making sure that the community is there to welcome and have events um, where they, uh, you know, uh, they, they can feel that um, level of, um, you know, familiarity with their cultural traditions, religious traditions, and, and keep that and, and know that just because they're moving here, they're having to come here, you know, they'll learn the new culture, they'll adopt a lot of things, but they can preserve uh, their own culture also and, and helping them make that transition. Um, and and uh, so that um, they can be fully a part of the society. These people, uh, the the, pe the refugees, the people coming from mm -hmm. Afghanistan that got on the planes, 
um, they may not have all worked for the United States mm -hmm. government. Okay, so there might have been people that work for NGOs, but yeah. there, there's also people that just feel that they're in danger. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So, but they 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 might they might feel like they're in danger even though they didn't work for the United States or didn't help. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What? Help me out with that. What? what are they are still people? classified the same if they have uh, a legitimate say they were journalists or they were you know worked closely I, with I, the I, Afghan I government? So. I believe so. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything that says that um, you have to have been uh, affiliated or mm -hmm. have worked with the, the U.S. government or NGO to be uh, qualified to be humanitarian early. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I haven't heard that. I don't know. I could be wrong. So mm -hmm. I'm not expecting, I know like there are family members who are trying to bring other family members who don't have any mm -hmm. connection um, with U.S. US forces or NGOs. Um, so, but they're still mm -hmm. trying to get them in. So shows some kind of claim of um, uh, need uh, mm -hmm. Uh, can can at least apply. Mm -hmm. It can at least apply. So we we apparently took over a hundred thousand people, airlifted over a hundred thousand people out of Afghanistan. Where are they right now? So after when they left Afghanistan, they went to U.S. bases abroad, and then from there, I guess some level of processing happened, where then people were brought to U.S. bases. Uh, within the U.S. And then from there, once they're processed, then they go to, um, then they go to uh, their final destination city. And mm -hmm. so, m m you know, across the U.S., you know, it seems like a lot of different states are taking in some, some number of Afghan refugees, but, uh, you know, most will, like, if they have family here, would have said, I want to go to stay with the family at mm -hmm. this city mm -hmm. and they'll be relocated there yeah. uh, or or where there are larger Afghan communities like out in California, um, the, the, they, they would be accepting more uh, Afghan uh, refugees. Okay. And are you aware of any uh, <clears throat> thing going on in the state legislature that <laughs> would help or hinder this <laughs> that was going to be my question harvey it was but i was going to say have you have you are you getting any blowback from tennessee so yeah that's a million dollar question right and mm -hmm. and and the situation is unique um so we know um you know the legislature was suing the state over refugee resettlement and they lost right. that lawsuit yeah. So, you know, we know the hostility they bring towards um, refugees, immigrant, undocumented um, uh, immigrants. So, uh, and, and, and also their record of Islamophobia. So th those things are well documented in the Tennessee legislature. This situation has been a bit different in terms of how, um, of course, this is the Biden administration, a Democratic administration that actually did the pullout, even though Trump was going to pull out, uh, 
uh, President Biden actually did it. So, um, and, and the fact that um, there were Afghans that worked with the US, um, uh, that there was a lot of Republican support for the refugees initially. I'd say initially there was a lot of Republican support um, and kind of saying, yes, we need to save these um, Afghan uh, refugees. The US has really wronged them in you know, pulling out in this manner. And, um, and so that became the news of the day and we saw the images. Um, and, and you could see just um, in you know, how Marsha Blackburn Senator Marsha Blackburn had kind of categorized it and railed against uh, President Biden and then, you know, showed her support for Afghan refugees. But then now, uh, and quickly, you know, within a few weeks, it was her, her tune had changed in terms of, oh, have these people been vetted? And so going back to the, the common Republican talking points against uh, allowing refugees in, um, have they been vetted? And, and so we saw that with this, when the, you know, you had all these Syrian um, uh, refugees, you know, starting to come here in Tennessee, uh, that, that was their talking points, whether there was our senators or our legislatures, like, have they been vetted enough uh, before coming here? And, um, and, and so that's coming up again, um, but you, you've also seen even from someone like Glenn Beck, you know, raise millions of dollars to help get refugees out of Afghanistan, but he was focusing on Christian minorities in Afghanistan. And so, um, you know, I, I think for the community, for those who uh, support refugee resettlement. Um, if we can get support from either side of the aisle, um, we wanted just to make it easier for those who are escaping this crisis to come here and settle. Mm -hmm. But I, we are well aware that the, some of these Republicans who, who are showing some level of support mm -hmm. at this moment um, are, uh, are Islamophob Islamophobic. Um, they supported the Muslim ban. They support any kind of measure against Muslim communities, whether it's uh, you know policies within the U.S. or the war on terror um, that uh, has has killed you know nearly a million people um, uh, across the world. Um, so so we know what their true colors are like, and so it is interesting, you know, whether we can harness any goodwill and keep it through the legislative season in 2022? Or is this underlying hostility towards refugees in general going to surface again? So you, you're starting to hear some of the, um, some of the legislatures making comments and they're just kind of um, on both sides right now, but as time goes on, I mean, it's easy because very few have actually landed or come in uh, Tennessee as of today. So, okay. but as you see more and more coming in and it becomes more visible, will their tune change also? And, you mm -hmm. know, it's always about, um, you know, uh, uh, their constituents that they're, they are 
um, you know, uh, talking to, right? Um, and, and they're trying to uh, uh, impress uh, with, mm -hmm. with their words. Right. Has Governor Lee made any statements about Afghan refugees? I, I, I believe he said something about vetting uh, oh, you know, using is using that wording um oh. you know uh you know he did um he did say say that tennessee will you know in uh, what, what it was a year ago year two years ago that you know he said no tennessee will resettle refugees um so and that was going against what the legislators uh had uh, wished for but um but we'll have to see because you know pressure from the legislature sometimes affects how what the governor says and does. Sometimes, when when the people get here, are are you are other organizations going to be giving basically training or welcome to Tennessee classes where it's they have to learn how to navigate around the police or around ICE uh, because I shouldn't. well, you know, but chances are these, uh, the, 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 the refugees coming from Afghanistan could be mistaken for another group of people of color that right. would be, um, that would, that may be threatened by ICE. So, is there going to be any type I, of? I, yeah, I see. Uh, you know, opportunities to do training on both ends, right? Um, so, you know, new Afghan members understanding how the legal system works, how law enforcement works, right? Um, and and, and um, you know, as Muslim communities the concerns we have and the and what you need to know and understand um you know so we we've done your, know your rights training uh, before especially um you know knowing your rights um you know before uh, fbi you know um or yeah ice right uh but also for law enforcement to understand this community um, so, you know, AMAC already does that. We do some training with the cadets um, uh, before they're actually out on patrol uh, and learning about our, uh, like the Muslim community and the diversity uh, because many, many uh, police officers don't have either the training or the experience or the, even the personal experience uh, being around uh, other being around Muslims. So I, I think that the that two components, so, you know, the, uh, the cultural competency training with the police department, uh, uh, but then also with the, any, any with Muslim community, but that new, new, new arrivals from Afghan understanding what their rights are is important. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you've got a pretty good handle about the immigrant situation in Tennessee overall. Mm -hmm. uh, is there uh, well let me let me get to it this way um, things that the United States did in Honduras um, has basically created refugees or mm -hmm. um, other you know other other places 
is there any is, is there any um, disharmony conflict like how come they're getting in when I've been trying to get in right right um, you, you you know that everyone's thinking that right uh, you know why are some groups um, able to get in more easily um, I, I think it's I think you have to narrow it down that uh, immigration policy has been rooted in racism. And, and I, don't I don't think you can get over that. Um, and even, you know, the Afghans being able to come now, well, it's because US was there for 20 years and, you know, and, and the way that they left and a little recognition of that they couldn't have been there for 20 years without allies on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when the Syrian refugees were come, trying to come in, they were having a hard time, right? Uh, for four years, you had a Muslim ban. <laughs> so, so really the default is um, uh, communities of color have a hard time coming in, whether it's as refugees, as uh, migrants, or even asylum seekers, like the recent uh, uh, influx of Haitians at the border, border. I mean, that's their right to come to the US border and seek asylum. And they should be able to stay in the US until their case is heard. But they were deporting them straight out. Um, you know, some, you know mo most of the ones recently were allowed in, but there were, you know, I don't know, several thousands that were just deported straight out, not even allowed to seek that asylum. So um, I recognition that people migrate, people move, and nobody really wants to leave their home unless they have to. And I, I think that's like humanizing their situation because a lot of people look at um, immigrants, migrants, asylum seekers, as people who are somehow taking advantage of the U.S. or, or uh, of our immigration policies and trying to come here. No, they're not taking advantage. They have been marginalized. They have been uh, living under, uh, many times under uh, trying conditions. They're fearing for their lives. Uh, and, and oftentimes there's US policy behind it, especially we know in South America, right? We know the war and terrorism abroad, but then also talking about in the Southern border um, policies we've had in South and Central America and then in ha Haiti. So um, understanding that this doesn't happen in a vacuum, people just don't show up on our border. People don't just say, well, I'm gonna make more money in the US, I'm gonna go. Most people, if they had a safe, secure place to live at home, they would choose to live at home because they have their family. That's, mm. they have their mm -hmm. family there. Nobody chooses to leave everything behind and come, especially you talk about, talk about unaccompanied minors coming. Uh, that's, that's a terrible, horrible decision they, they make, families mm. make. It's not something people are like, oh yeah, let's just go to the US. So humanizing these communities, um, and understanding people do come out of desperate situations. Yes. Are other countries taking Afghan refugees related uh, to yes. this situation? Yeah. Yes, I, I believe so. Yeah. I, I believe so. Um, I, I don't know what the numbers are, 
Um, uh, but, but they yeah. are, I, I think, um, like they're going to yeah. um, Great Britain and uh, I've heard in Portugal. Yeah. Okay. Um, aren't, uh, aren't many of them also uh, maybe not going through official channels, but uh, ending up in Iran or ending up in Pakistan or yeah, I, I'm sure that, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot ending up in uh, Pakistan, um, but w whether they want that to be their final destination, right. that's another question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you don't want to be living as a refugee all your life. You want right. to be able sure. to go somewhere where you can actually settle. Right. What What other What other organizations across the country are doing what you're doing? So we, so with AMIC, we're just providing the support. And I think we've been really helping with the, you know, resettlement agencies, NICE and Catholic Charities by connecting them with the existing Afghan community here. Because, you know, we, we want to make sure the newly arrived refugees really have the support they need and seeing someone who can speak their language, understand their culture, understand their religion, like that's so important. And so I, I think um, that's really where we're helping to plug in and, and to uh, um, bring in more volunteers, but also social activities for uh, the new arrivals. Um, so um, so that's, that's, I see that's kind of the role for AMEC uh, to play because the refugee resettlement agencies work with the clients for a number of months and then that, that's it, you know, then their services end. And so that, there's that time in which their services end where they will still need that help and support. And, and that's what I'm hoping that we could still be that bridge in helping them, um, you know, settle in this country after, especially after that uh, support from the uh, resettlement agency ends. Do you, do you think other cities have a, an AMAC like you all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe like the bigger cities, bigger states uh, have some kind of, um, let's say, uh, um, you know, either um, civil Muslim civil rights organization or uh, Muslim social service organization, but those are the bigger states with larger Muslim communities. Uh, I think I was hearing somebody was telling me, uh, like maybe fifty Afghan were expected to be resettled in North Dakota. I mean, something, something like that. Like some, wow. some place you wouldn't, some place you wouldn't expect. And that's that's how it happens with resettlement. Um, and so those those will be harder transitions where there there isn't uh, either an Afghan community or Muslim community. Now, I mean, just it's this has been a unique response. I mean, so many people who I know who have no connection with Afghanistan, their culture or religion whatsoever are stepping up and saying, we wanna help out in whatever way we can. And, and that's a tremendous support um, right there. And, and, and I think um, that goodwill um, will be tapped, you know, needs to be tapped into. And, but sometimes just learning, you know, understanding the culture in which 
the communities, any refugee communities coming in, understanding it, being respectful of it uh, when you welcome people it, is important. Um, you know, I've talked to refugees, uh, say from Somalia and, and in Nashville, we have the largest Kurdish, Kurdish community in the US and, um, you know, uh, it's just, um, you know, you're, everything is new and you just don't want to lose mm -hmm. your culture, you know, and that's a fear, like, especially parents have mm -hmm. losing their culture coming here and, and you don't have to, but you just have to learn how to navigate things. What could Veterans for Peace do? You know, one great thing you guys do is you, you, talk about and you challenge Islamophobia. So like, you know, talking about, you know, what do we expect from the state legislature? It, it's not just the state legislature, you know, as cities are welcoming new Afghans, there's going to be some level of backlash, especially there's been a pandemic for the last year and a half. Uh, there are people who are worried about how are they gonna pay their rent? I mean, they're all, there are already is ex existing problems within the community. So you, you're, you're gonna have people take advantage of um, uh, that kind of divide and conquer like, oh, well, these refugees are coming, taking your jobs, taking your resources and not. So that happens all the time. So being able to speak up against that, speak up against Islamophobia, Islamophobic tropes, um, and the backlash we know happens, right? Um, you know, at this moment, people are all welcoming, but when they actually see more Afghans in their community, they're maybe dressing differently, they're speaking, they don't know English very well. We know like that a lot of times they, that really um, draws out those who are xenophobic uh, and Islamophobic saying, why aren't people speaking English? Uh, why are they dressed that way? They need to assimilate. And, you know, that whole idea of assimilate uh, is rooted in racism. And, and so being able to push back against that kind of rhetoric is very important and educating people about who, who are these refugee communities coming in and why we as a country, as a community, um, need to show, you know, need to be welcoming because we want, if we want to live in a thriving community, we got to make sure every member of our community who's here has the opportunity to succeed. Um, and that, and that benefits them, it benefits us, and it's, it's the right thing to do. All, all right, I have to throw this in. Okay. What do you think of Biden right now? What do you think about <laughs> Biden and his, and his, and that this administration with um, Secretary of State uh, Blinken and Defense Secretary Austin. Um, I mean, what what do you think? What do you think? Um, it, you know, when your new president administration comes in, you know, first thing you think is you compare it to the old administration. And you're like, well, anything was better than Trump, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so I think we're still like in that phase where, yes, anything is better. But looking over the last 20 years, I mean, not much longer than that, not just the last 20 years, but specifically war and terrorism, 
it, it's not one administration over the other that's better. They all have similar policies um, that um, that I don't agree. I don't agree with. So that, um, especially as a Muslim, uh, targets uh, our communities. And so, um, you know, it was under the Obama administration that countering violent extremism programs started. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to forget that. So when people are like, well, Democrats are better than Republicans, I'm like, no, you know, there's systems in place that you have to speak out against. You can't be lulled into this person's better than that person. So with with President Biden, it's it's more seeing what can be done, what will be done. Um, hopefully, I, I, I like vaccine mandates I, i'll just put it out there <laughs> that is coming out just because we've done a lot of work with uh around covid and vaccinations and it's time to like you know really uh um squash <laughs> this virus and, mm -hmm. and taking bold action but um but Thing, there's there's just too many things that are left up in the air and just wondering what what will fundamentally change and what will kind of be window dressing. Um, yeah, I, I still have to see. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you heard a lot of people in the Muslim community reacting to this horrendous drone attack that killed all these children. Mm -hmm and all the lies that, that were peddled and the stonewalling around that. Yeah. And then after all that, you know, the last thing they say is, uh, well, you know, protocols were followed. I mean, this is how it works and they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> I mean, so, so that, that, yeah. So that excuse is always used. Like we follow yeah. the rule of law, but when the rule of law is fundamentally uh, rooted in racism, then it, 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 it's still going to marginalize the group of people who are out of favor, right? Um, so the rule of law is being used as an excuse to kind of sanitize the whole situation. And so, uh, and, and how's it, you know, any different than when it happens, it's like, oh, one terrorist was killed. And that's all they'll report and the family, the children, as if the children of the terrorists are equally guilty and we should just um, accept that as the collateral damage. Um, so there, and these are very triggering in, in terms of drone attacks are just happening in Afghanistan. They're happening in Yemen. They've happened in Iraq, yes. in Pakistan. Yeah. Pakistan probably yeah. um, had the uh, most fatalities, and then uh, Somalia. So this is uh, that, um, like, let's say, undisclosed war. You know, that's going on, and literally, people on the ground, you know, especially children, have PTSD over just hearing the drone noise. Yes. And when yeah. you hear about that, and you realize. It's terrorizing a population, yeah. um, and and we need to be, you know, questioning this this whole strategy of war. Not quite. I mean, it should be like ended immediately, but but instead of anyone questioning it, now we have Amazon using drones to move packages. Like you're sanitizing it further. 
this idea that you know you're distancing it from the drone killing people to oh it's just like it's um uh, it's it's helpful for us to have drones and so um you know you're gonna you need to see it from a bigger picture of what's going around not just in afghanistan but uh, across especially in the muslim world we we've kept you for almost an hour well i i have to tell i always enjoy talking to you too and um for you guys allowing me to like (laughs) be totally myself and I'm going to have to check myself before. Mm. Well, maybe I check myself a little with Biden, but. (laughs) 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 But but giving that space to uh, Mm. just, just say what needs to be said. It's so, it's so important. I really appreciate both of you for giving me that. Which is, you know, we end with a song. (laughs) And it's always the guest's choice. You should have warned me about that. Oh, I like to, I, I like to surprise. <clears throat> uh, so, um, uh, a song that I've been listening to recently. I mean, it's not a new song; it's kind of not that old. But um, you, you song, "Ordinary Love." Ordinary Love. You too. Yeah. Okay. You too. Yeah. Ordinary Love by You Too. Yeah. Okay. There yeah. it is. So we will leave it there and with great appreciation for the words and wisdom of Brenda to show Sabina Moyadine of the American Muslim Advisory Council. And so now per her request, here is you two and ordinary love. Uh-huh.